0: making culture measurable. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Hey, Gut Science listeners, it's Nikki, and Karen Volo is joining us today. She's the CEO of Evolution, a trusted cultural advisor, strategic partner to CEOs and CHROs on culture and creating high-trust teams. She is the chief joy-bringer and such an inspirational speaker, and her story, her background, wow. You're in for a treat. Here we go. Karen Welcome to Gut Plus Science. This has been a long time coming. We might have planned for this episode like a year ago, to be honest, but I am so excited about this topic, just like I was when we talked a while back. And I totally believe in the power of perfect timing. And so I think we're here today for a reason and ready to inspire just through the learnings that that you have to share. So, you know, making culture measurable is so important and it's a tough nut to crack. I think you're going to help us really make that simple today. Like not an easy thing, but we can make it simple. And I think that's what, what you're here to do. So I would love for you to share a little backstory though about you and really your work and then getting to this topic of the five cultural key model. Tell us a little bit more about all of that.
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me, Nikki, and um, I'm so glad we finally brought this together, and I also believe in perfect timing with everything. So, yeah, I wrote a book back in 2012 called Engage, and that was really the catalyst to bring about my purpose of what I'm doing now. And with my business, it's called Evolution. Our purpose is bringing joy to the workplace. And there's a backstory to that backstory, which I'm going to get into as well, because it really explains why this was such a significant catalyst in my life. And I'm going to give you the very, very short version of it. This is not a simple story, but basically I come from an executive search background. I am half American, half Swedish. In 2000, I basically found out that my first husband had lied to me about everything in his life and found out he was a pathological liar basically and I'd moved to Sweden because he had been convicted of fraud and I thought that was my major life crisis at that point I had two little girls ended up in Sweden with my mom and trying to get my life back on track and so I did and got back on track got back into executive search was having you know rebuilding a business in Sweden and throughout Europe and I was actually getting ready to expand the executive search business throughout Europe and In 2006, I went to the US on a business trip because I was working with a business mentor there. Had one of the best weeks of my life. Everything was on top, on point. Clients were coming in. I had five people ready to expand out. And then as I was done with that trip and getting ready to board the plane in San Diego, I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and there were two US Marshals who said seven words that froze my life. They said, we have a warrant for your arrest. And they proceeded to take me into custody. They took me into a high security facility in downtown San Diego, where I proceeded to sit for the next 1,352 days, which is a lot of days. It's almost four years. And it was a nightmare situation. And what had happened was that my first husband, who I divorced years earlier, he had used my name on documents. And it was in Mexico. And they were trying to extradite me to Mexico. So it was this nightmare situation. And talk about having the carpet pulled out from under your feet in the, in a matter of seconds. It went 180 degrees in my life to something I'd never experienced ever in my life. And so I sat in this high security jail, which is different from a prison. I was never convicted of anything. But I sat there and tried to survive day to day to day and get through this. And always keeping a vision that I'm innocent, my charges are dropped, I'm released, I get to go back home. At the time, my daughters were six and eight. so. I missed a significant part of their young lives. Anyway, long story short, lots happened there. I do have a book on that story called 1,352 Days, if anybody's interested in that. But my charges were eventually dropped. I was exonerated. I did get to come home in 2010. And when I came home, I went through another round of like, wow, okay, what am I supposed to do with my life now? And I knew in my gut that I was not supposed to go back to headhunting. I knew I was supposed to teach all the things that I had learned during those four years to try and stay in a positive frame of mind. I just knew I had to do something with it, and I didn't know what it was going to be. And eventually, a couple of years later, that led to me writing my book, Engage. And that's really what became the catalyst to starting um, the work that I do now, that I've been doing for a decade. And in those two years in between, you know, I was a bit lost not knowing what I was supposed to do now and really did a lot of the personal inner growth purpose work and figured out my purpose is bringing joy. And so I think, you know, when people figure out their purpose, it's like the most important thing they can figure out in their life. Because from that point on, it guides you through the rest of your life and it Mm -hmm. gives direction and clarity to the things that you're supposed to be doing. So I'm a big proponent of purpose, as I know you are. And individuals need to have their purpose and companies need to have their purpose. And when you do, and you can even match those, that's when magic starts to happen in companies. So Karen, wow, that
0: story. I've heard that before. And then hearing it again, it's all the feels and hearing that. And I, I know that you're telling it in a very Cliff Notes version, but wow, here's my question that I'm just curious about before we dive into our topic today. When you look at your life experience thus far, would you go back and redo anything
1: if you had the chance? I would probably redo learning to listen to my inner guidance, my, my intuition, my, my trusting myself. And that goes back 30 years. I should have made the choice not to marry this man. However, I have these two beautiful daughters from him, so I will never regret that and if I had to do it all over again to get them I probably would because they're you know the light of my life basically mm. yeah
0: I uh, I'm on this just personal growth kick and really living just more transparent and open um, I got married last year to the love of my life we will be together forever I know it in my heart my gut and I know that um, on the flip side I've been married twice before. I was raised Catholic. Divorce is not okay. I've struggled so much. I knew in my heart, goal, and every heart, gut, and everything that the first two marriages were not right. I went against that. Would I redo that? No, I wouldn't. I would never be able to be here and talk about perfect timing and all that. But all that to say, you know, I think sometimes people need inspiration that for me, you know, it's hard for me to say, you know, at 40 years old, getting married, that's my third marriage into. To say that and people judge or whatever, and then still work against the things of my past, but all to say in perfect timing and all to say in um, embracing our stories, right? And it's like, if you truly do embrace the story, all of it, even the crap, like (laughs) is such a thing that helps so many people. And, like, I mean, case in point, you created a business because of this, right? (laughs) It's just really magical. And I think something that I think sometimes people need to hear, especially when you're in the
1: crap. And, and I totally agree with you on that. And it's hard when you're in the crap to have the appreciation for what you're going through. But to understand that everything in our life is giving us lessons. And I made a very, very conscious choice. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I've lived in an environment that was so negative for four years. All I want is inspiration, joy, and helping other people. And what can I do to serve? And that, that to me is like how i build built my life now. And it was a very conscious choice. That's where we take our power back because we can make choices about everything. We can't always control what's happening around us, but we can definitely control how we respond to things.
0: If this isn't a great example of gut plus science, I don't know <laughs> what is. So we just got into the gut and the heart and all of that goodness, and now let's get into the science side of things, which is... Really, the five cultural key model is this this model, the simple the simple way, I guess, of what I was saying earlier. Tell us a little bit about how that was created.
1: So, as I said, when I came home, I was a bit lost. I didn't know what I was going to do. Eventually, I was like following my heart and almost being guided, and ended up writing this book and realizing that I knew I was meant to teach what I learned, and I knew that. Um, There was an audience out there that needed this and it ended up i've always worked in the corporate world i discovered those are my people those are the people i'm meant to serve and so when i came across the research for positive psychology all of a sudden at that point it was like a decade worth now it's almost two decades worth of research that backed up everything that i knew that worked for me on a personal level and with my family and so i could all of a sudden talk about my story, bring in the research, but then also tie it into the workplace because so many people feel somewhat imprisoned in their work. They hate their jobs, they hate their companies. And I think that is one of the biggest human tragedies. Oh, and amen. so, you know, I, I have a purpose of working with very purpose-driven leaders who want to transform an organization or who have or are in the process of that so that they can create an environment where people can thrive. I love that.
0: I love that. And we share such a conviction. Um, the same thing, like that, you know, work, it's the greatest place to, you know, the greatest amount of hours that we put in besides maybe sleep, right? When you do the math and it's like, oh, please stop wasting it. Please, please, uh, you know, take the time to really figure out something that you can, you know, take the strengths that you were given with this one life and go do it. So yes, soapbox complete there. <laughs> Uh, So, you know, before we go into the five components, because that's what we need to get to, why is it so hard for leaders to define, measure,
1: and scale culture? They're not taught it. It's not something that's been done before. The good news is in the last decade, so much of these bigger words that people used to say, oh, that's the softer side of business. You know, you can't measure it. If you can't measure it, you can't track it. You can't work with it. So culture, purpose, trust, values – all of these things are being measured significantly and having a ton of research from the academic world to show what kind of an impact it has in the workplace and when you have that then all of a sudden it's like oh then we can measure it oh then we can work with it and the five cultural key that i've you know we've talked about and mentioned here a little bit i'll get into but that was just a way that when i wrote the book engage was helping to make the invisible visible so we could take culture find five cultural keys, and when all of those are on a very high level, it's like this magic starts to happen inside of the culture of the company. You know, if if someone goes to an interview, same job, two different companies, you walk in, you have your interview, you viscerally feel the energy of that environment, of that culture, of that company. And you might not consciously process it, but you could say, oh, I really like that company, and that one, no, 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 I couldn't work there. And that's our body giving us signals about what resonates with us and who we are and where we'd fit in. Totally.
0: I call that the vibe. You can even – give you two distinct examples of like being in a live tech company on site working in it and then also a virtual company working always on Zoom and the profound vibe that I could feel in one, two, and three meetings that were consistent triggers or just like you were saying, like kind of like going with your gut, if you will – that I knew just from from those experiences. And I think leaning into that more is so important, whether you know it's your company or you're working with the company, like really picking up on those vibes and figuring out ways to change those, to elevate those. Another soapbox we get into, but I wanted to break down these five key components to the five cultural key models. So I'm going to play color. You just go ahead and walk through the five for us. Okay,
1: so- In the book, Engage, it started by looking at a lot of really engaged companies, like what are they doing differently? And it was at a point where it was really difficult times, and some companies were just doing really well and thriving and growing and attracting great people. And the people who were there seemed really happy. So I ended up talking to them, and it was a lot of different companies back then, Zappos, Tom Shoes. We looked at different geographical locations, different industries, and different ownership structures to see, can we find this here? can we find that there? So HCL Technologies was another one, and we looked at really big companies and small. Bottom line is the red thread through all of them were these five cultural keys. So if we break it down, and that's kind of how I define culture, and actually before I get into it, I'll just say one thing. So under the umbrella of culture, over these years now that I've been working with it, there's three components. You've got culture, purpose, and trust. And so the five cultural keys are the definition of how you get culture tangible, basically. And the first one is collaboration. So it's taking teamwork to the next level. It's also having people feel like they belong. They are working for the greater good of everybody and a high level of trust there. Second one is creativity. So it's allowing the ideas and the innovation to come from within. Your people have the best ideas. So it's a matter of finding ways to systematize, to listen to them and bring that up. So that's innovation as well. Third cultural key is connections. How do you connect on a deeper emotional level? That's through the values of the company. That's through the purpose. It's also how you're communicating both internally to the employees, but also externally to your clients. So there's a lot that kind of goes under that one. The fourth cultural key is celebration. That's the one I find often is the one that isn't the one working the most, but it's looking at what's going well, celebrating those small wins along the way. It's having fun. It's also learning from your mistakes and being able to, you know, keep moving things forward. And then the last one is contribution. And so that's some level of giving back or connecting the business in some way to something that's having a positive impact in the world. And in the last decade, our mindset, I would say globally has changed. People want purpose-driven companies that are making a positive difference in the world. So that's how they're able to attract top talent. And basically, it also makes people feel like what they do matters when they're at work. So they're more loyal and they stay longer. And so retention is a lot higher and things like that. So -hmm. when you have all five of those on a very high level, that's like I said earlier, that's when the magic starts to happen. That's when people thrive because you are really consciously deliberately working on creating an amazing company culture. So collaboration.
0: When you think of a company that you've worked alongside that does this so well, like you've, you you could kind of share a story of this is what it looks like when when someone is leading this culture, is leading this and doing this at an A-level. What what is bring that to life?
1: You know, I, I also have a podcast called the Amazing Leader Series. And so I talk to a lot of great CEOs and I get a lot of insights into their companies. And one of the companies I love is Lippert Industries. That's probably based fairly close to you.
0: Okay, well, well, talk about timing. So, Jason Lipper is an upcoming guest. So, perfect timing.
1: Yes, tell us all about Lipper, please. Well, I've just been so impressed with what he's been able to do. And as a leader, he's gone through a, his own personal journey. And that's something I find consistent with these fabulous leaders who create great cultures is that they've gone through their own personal inner growth and development and then they want to kind of scale that up or replicate it through the company. And so they're great at collaborating. I think one of the things that they've done really well is create a coaching environment. They also have a, he's dedicated resources to a culture team. So instead of dropping it on HR and having them overworked, and HR tends to be, that's their fun thing that they want to do, but they're so overwhelmed with everything else, they don't get as much time to do that. But he's got a whole team that's dedicated to that. And so they're really working internally on developing their people through personal growth and development. And then they have a contribution element as well, which is just fantastic. So I've been incredibly impressed with them. I love that. Okay. Let's talk about creativity. And I want to hear a pitfall of
0: that. So when, when, kinda, when innovation or creativity is, let's call it done too much, or you know, what's kind of some pitfalls to be
1: aware of in that? I, I would say the biggest pitfall is just not listening to the people I can give a great example. Virgin Railways took over a management from Edinburgh to, to London. And it was British Railways, which is the employees have been there 20, 30 years, long time standing employees, it's government, but it was now outsourced to a private company. And the first six months, the leaders just went in and talked to everybody and said, look, this is a new business area for us. What would you do differently? And it was the first time that anybody had come and asked them and talked to them. And then after that six months, then they started to implement some of the great ideas that these people had. And so for the first time ever, these same employees, they didn't hire new people, they didn't fire anybody, it was the same employees, but it like ignited a little fire inside of them, a passion, because they were doing what they had told them that needed to be done for the first time ever. And so they felt valued, they felt appreciated, they felt seen, and it made a huge difference. So good. Real quick story about a company that I work with, a tech company
0: that was like, we need to figure out the best way to give the best benefits next year. Oh, I think our team would really like snacks. Let's invest in a great snack bar. Well, then someone on the board said, hey, maybe before we invest in this fancy snack bar, let's just throw out a little survey like, and get some feedback. Got feedback. Snacks was one of the options. I think it was like a 3% response on who voted for snacks. They all wanted a retirement plan. And so they took the money that they were gonna invest in that. And it was like to your point, listen to your people, ask your people, people that are closest to your business, whether your team members or your vendors or your partners, right? That that that's just such a great, great reminder of where to where to get that creativity. Connection. Okay. So when you think connection and you think of a leader, a person that comes to mind that
1: really leads connection well, what does that look like? So this is something I've been working on for a long time. As I mentioned, the third leg of culture, as I define it, is trust. And I've ended up being pulled into working with trust because if you don't have the foundation of trust inside of an organization, it's so much harder to do everything else because it doesn't stick as well. So I think in terms of connection, leaders need to be authentic, they need to be real, and they need to genuinely care about people. And this is something that can be challenging because that's not what's taught in the normal management and educational. It's all about the numbers and that's it. And another great example here is Barry Weimiller with Bob Chapman, who, you know, he's written a book called Everybody Matters and Everyone Matters and it's just it's fabulous because he really cares about the people. And I think it comes through and I think these leaders who have discovered this, like when they truly genuinely care about their people, the company does really well. And so it goes hand in hand. Gary Ridge is another one who is great at explaining how the shareholder value has increased. He's taken the company from you know, 200 million or whatever, 300 million to 3 billion almost over a 20-year period. And, and it's a huge amount of growth consistently. So I think they've cracked the nut. And now all of us who are working in the space and area It's our job to get this out there, to inspire other leaders to realize, hey, this is how we can do this.
0: Totally. Karen, have you ever heard the saying, a sister from another mister? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's how I feel right now. I'm like, this is so crazy. So Bob Chapman's been on this show. Gary Ridge has been on this show. It's like, you know, it again, guys, like right now when we're recording, it's 9.30 in the morning where I am. It's 3.30 in the afternoon where she is just to say how small the world can be, right? So this is really fun. And it's perfect to talk about connection. So many connection points here. Powerful. Karen, walking into celebration, you said this is the one that's often, you know, overlooked the most. And my question around around celebration is how do we make it meaningful it's not the same for all how one person wants celebrated is not the same for person two
1: well the simple answer is ask how do you want to celebrate these things but i think even taking a step before that is that if you're very driven and ambitious and goal driven and all that kind of stuff teams are working for goals they get to the goal they finally get there and they're like okay they're on to the next thing they don't take the time to celebrate all the you know Hundreds of little baby steps that it took to get to this major goal or whatever it is. And I think just getting into a habit of gratitude and appreciation for what you have accomplished on a daily basis helps you. Because as human beings, we want to make progress. We feel if we're making progress, we're going to feel happier. We're going to feel like we're more productive. So I think it's really important to just learn or figure out ways to celebrate the small wins along the way. And then when you're going to do a big celebration, ask people. Do you want to have a party? Do you want to go on, I don't know, a trip somewhere or whatever it is? Ask and then do what people want. Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay.
0: In contribution, my question for you is how have you seen this category drive
1: engagement of an organization? Oh, yeah. That's an easy one because, again, something shifted and people really do want to work with companies that they feel are making a positive difference. If we look back, say, 20 years ago, people who were doing contribution, it was like you didn't put that out into the world. You did it on the side. You did it subtly if you did it. But now things changed about 10 years ago or so, 12 years ago, where people wanted to know what good are you doing in the world? And so now it's actually really important in the communication of any organization to share, for example, with evolution, with any project we do, we're giving to you know, it's, I generally support um, water or food for children in need somewhere in the world. And that's just a part of our business model. I think it was Tom Shoes that kind of really made this really a popular concept by the one for one. So you buy one and you're gonna give one to somebody else, right? And it's those types of things. When you have companies doing that, it increases the engagement, makes it easier to attract talent to your company. And people wanna stay there because they feel like what they do matters and it's significant. I love this. I love all of this and I feel like we could
0: have an episode every month to break it down because there's so much here. But I do want to, before we go over to our, our lightning round where we get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you, I'd love for you to put a bow on this around the measurement side. So we've got these five categories and how do we bring this into a data-driven methodology that allows us to build our people and our companies and our mission through, through data? Right, and tie that to culture? How do you do that?
1: Well, I mean, the companies I work with, we do measure the five cultural keys. Once everyone understands internally what it is, we can measure it. We can get a snapshot of time, and then measure it again six months later and get another snapshot of time. That first initial snapshot of time, there's always one or two that are really high, and then the rest are kind of low. And that's where we can go in and start to tweak a little bit But you don't have to use this particular model for it. Find out what the KPIs are that, you know, are making the biggest impact and then just consistently measure, but also think about what activities are you going to do to increase the engagement inside of the organization? So I, I actually have developed a certification training where I teach people all of this. And how do you actually get people engaged? And it's because when they know how to, first of all, understand all of engagement and everything behind it. But then they know how to work with the neuroscience of how people react and interact. And that's where, you know, a lot of my trust work, I do a lot with that in the trust area. But then also to be able to break it down into how do you want people to feel? What behaviors are that? How are we going to make that happen? And then, then you can start to do specific deliberate engagement activities that start to shift the culture that way. So there's a system to it. One last
0: question, and I know we're going to link out in case people are like, okay, there's so much more to learn and they can get with you to talk about this more. But there is a question, I feel it's like the billion-dollar question. How
1: often is measure regularly? You know, I, it, to me, it doesn't really matter as long as it's consistent. It could be quarterly. It could be if you have the pulse type thing where it's weekly, that's fine too. There's different ways. But as long as you get it consistent over time, that's when the data starts to pick up. Once a year is far too little. Six months, probably not enough still. So I would say at least quarterly or maybe monthly. Good. And I think that
0: the billion-dollar question purpose or behind why is it such a big question is, you know, just like culture, like it's not a one-size-fits-all. What these two great award-winning workplaces did is not the same blueprint. And you have to figure that same thing out. It's your measurement cadence as well. So – Karen, this has been so fun. I just, I love reconnecting with you today. I have so much energy from this conversation and I feel that we're just supposed to be connected and be doing more together. And I'm, I'm grateful for the time. We're going to take a quick break and um, we'll hear from my sponsor message today. We'll come right back to our lightning round where we get to learn a little bit more about you. So we'll be right back. All right. We're back on Gut Plus Science with Karen Volo. It's been a great conversation today around making culture measurable. And these five key components to her uh, cultural model have been just awesome. So we're going to now transition into just this fun, like, get to know Karen. And just uh, to remind you all, yes, we always ask for our favorite book, but then there's random questions that Karen didn't know until just a few minutes ago that we were going to ask. So here we go. Karen pick one book that you would recommend for our leader-listener audience.
1: That was such a hard thing to think about spontaneously, but the one that comes to mind is by Stephen Amarcovy, his latest book called Trust and Inspire. And he really talks about shifting from command and control mentality of leadership to this trust and inspire. So great. Thank you. We'll add it to our recommended reading list that is
0: very long and so rich. If you could go back five years ago, and
1: share advice with yourself, what would that advice be? I would say continue to trust in myself and in my purpose. That has been my guiding thing for so long. And as an entrepreneur, you go through the roller coasters of ups and downs and, you know, sometimes doubting what you're doing and and things like that. But uh, I've just always come back to listening to my heart and trusting in, this is my life's work. This is what I'm meant to be doing. So keep going forward.
0: I love that. And it ties right into, for those of you that are out there and it's like, I really do not like Mondays. I don't like my work. Work on that. Work on that to find that. There's nothing better than like waking up every day and knowing what you're here to do.
1: Nikki, people should be waking up saying, thank God it's Monday.
0: Yes. Right. And it's possible. That's possible uh, for people. And so if you're out there and you're like, I don't even understand that. Like it's possible, search for it. Yeah. Uh, next up, what gets you, Karen, most excited about life right now?
1: I would say opportunities and being able to serve as many people as I can reach. Just because I know that the work that we do is is life transforming, and it gives people hands on tools that they can work with and apply immediately, and it makes a difference in life, not only at work but also in the personal life. And if you can feel great at work and you go home, you're a better spouse, you're a better parent. And all of these things ripple into our society, and we need that right now. So definitely focus on your personal growth and development. Be the best version of yourself, and let's have that filtering into our society as well. So good. Karen, finally, how can our listeners connect with you after the show,
0: and is there anything that we want to lead them towards or offer them? I know you know you mentioned your book, your podcast. Like Anything you'd like to share before we sign off here?
1: Yeah. The best place, actually, is to get on my mailing list through – I have a gifts page when I do these types of interviews. So I give some great content on, at Evolution, we give out a ton of really fabulous reports and content that people can reach. So it's evolution, which is spelled dot com, And then it's forward slash gifts. And that's a page where you will actually get one of my favorite tools and the backstory to it. It's called the Joyometer. So it's how do you have more joy in your life? And then access to our reports page, lots of different valuable things that can give you a lot of good content and information to start working with the culture. And then also, I believe I have access to my amazing leader series there too.
0: All right, here's my truth you can act on from Karen Volo and my conversation. Number one, collaboration. How are you providing opportunities to help your people collaborate? Number two, creativity. Focus on listening to your people and those closest to the issues at hand or the things you're working on and have them help you to drive the creativity together. Creativity and innovation is such a powerful thing and such a fun thing for everyone to do together in collaboration uh, to make that new, new thing or the new way happen. Number three, connection. Authentic, real, care. Those things are core to connection. How are you practicing authenticity, being real and caring? Number four, celebration. How do we make celebration meaningful? Everyone wants to be celebrated in a different way or recognized in a different way, unique way. And it's important as a direct leader to people, we have to ask people how they want to be celebrated. Number five, contribution. How have you seen contribution drive your engagement in your organization? How are you bringing things into your organization and initiatives that help people see the the greater impact of the work that you do, c- contributing to the greater good of the world and causes? Call that corporate social responsibility or however we want to look at just the greater good of how we're su- serving to contribute. And finally, number six, I know there's a lot of truth you can act on today, but it's such a good episode defining KPIs that make the most impact and measuring those regularly for your business, which is so powerful. We've got to operate from those KPIs and measuring um, and staying accountable to those. It's what makes things grow and and the trajectory uh, rise. So with that, hope you love the episode as much as me. We'll see you next time.